Welcome to Ravenous Readers, a podcast made by the Sobo Reads Book Club, where we chat about reading and how different books make us better people. Today, we'll be chatting with author Liz Lawson of The Lucky Ones. Enjoy! I'm Miss Four. I serve as the media specialist at Southport High School, so um, we're going to be interviewing author Liz Lawson today, and helping me is Phoebe Moy. She is um, one of our student author Liz Lawson. Her book debuted The Lucky Ones on April 7th, so it's relatively new to the world. Um, Having read it, I think it's awesome, so we're going to talk about it a little bit, and then hopefully we can um, kind of just chat about how great of a book it is. So, um, Liz, would you mind kind of talking a little bit about yourself? Like, what's brought you to this point today? Sure. Um, I... I'm an author and also a music supervisor, so I work in film and television. Um, that's my day job. And um, I have been writing on and off since I was young. Um, I would say, you know, I have stories. I had, like, Babysitter's Club fan fiction that I found in my room from when I was, like, in sixth grade, fifth grade. Um, and I wrote all through high school, but never really took it seriously until much later in life until I was probably in my early thirties. So it was always kind of in my mind, like authors were these like mythical beings. And I will tell you it is not true. Anyone, if you like are are, uh, dedicated and like put your mind to it, like writing a book is something that, that anyone can do, you know, as long as you have like the perseverance. So I think that that's an important thing to know um, because it's so easy to think like you see these books in bookstores and uh, connecting them to real people as can, can be like a hard thing to do in your head sometimes, I think. So, yeah, so I started writing in my early 30s seriously and then got published, like you said, on April 7th. So it's been uh, several years. I wrote two other books, manuscripts before this one that um, ended up just being shelved, nothing really happened with them, but they were great practice. And then wrote The Lucky Ones, and over the course of the last three-ish years, have got an agent, and then sold the book, and then have been revising. Um, And now it is out. Which, congratulations on your book. Yay! Thank you very much. Um, So The Lucky Ones is about two teenagers, May and Zach, um, who are dealing with the aftermath of a school shooting. Um, what motivated you to write about this topic? That's so honestly, I graduated from high school the year prior to Columbine. And when I started thinking about this book and like started writing May and Zach, I started thinking about how that event and, you know, sort of shifted the landscape of our country forever in terms of like how kids feel about going to school and and education and how schools are like the infrastructure of schools um, are is are handled. And so I started writing it, thinking about all those kids who are faced with that reality. And then I, I have a kid 
So I started thinking about the fact that he, when he goes to school, is going to have to like go through these lockdown drills and um, have this reality, like have to deal with this. So I wanted to like put myself, I wanted to write for those kids and show them that even through trauma, there's like hope. That was my biggest goal with this and the reason I wanted to write. Um, because I, I talked to so many kids who have fears about going to school and you know, showing people and going through just regular traumas in life too, like anything that, I feel like the book is about a school shooting, but it is mostly about trauma. And so the, the idea of finding hope and like love and sort of relying on friends to get through trauma was like the, the, the biggest thing I wanted to show in the book. Awesome, thanks. Phoebe, did you want, you had a really good question you wanted to ask. Oh, um, so you basically answered my first question. I was gonna ask you if this was the first novel that you ever wrote, but you answered that. So I have another question about um, how did the story idea change throughout the years, the three years that you wrote it, or did it stay the same? Um, that's a great question. I love questions about revision. Um, so I, it actually mostly stayed the same, surprisingly. It changed a little bit when I first came up with the idea for the book. It was a lot more like Romeo and Juliet, like these two teenagers have these parents that don't like each other and they like have to like deal with their relationship in the face of that. And, but when I started writing and getting more into like the emotional part of the book, I really um, realized I had to sort of like pull back on that Romeo and Juliet aspect and like pull back on the romance too, because I don't, I'm not a big fan of when, I'm not a big fan of like romance solving everything in books, especially like new romances. Like I'm, I'm a fan of like people relying on friendship and love to help them, but like, insta-love and like that solving all of a person's problems always strikes me as it always rings false to me so I knew I needed to pull back a lot when I started going in a different direction um and so that did change like I the relationship between May and Zach while it's still there and is a significant part of the story it's more of a friendship love than it is like a big romance love um because that was really important to me. I didn't want that to, I didn't want the message to be like, fall in love and you will be fixed because I think that's a really damaging thing for anyone to hear. Um, and I'm trying to think of what else changed. That was a big change. Um, there was a character, Lucy's grandma, who's mentioned in the book was a character. Um, there are several scenes with her and they actually got pulled out because they weren't, my editor didn't think they moved the book along enough. Um, which was a bummer because I really like that character, but oh well. Um, and then that, those were the biggest changes. The romance becoming a smaller part is, it, I would say, the biggest change. Surprisingly, like plot-wise, everything kind of stayed the same. Like I wrote it pretty similar. Like my first draft was pretty similar in terms of like the flow of the plot which doesn't usually happen. Trust me, I'm writing another book right now and it's like, 
going to be very, very, very different experience. Thank you with for this, answering my question. <laughs> of it's kind of, you mentioned like revision and like working on your next book. How do you, um, how are you like focusing right now during this, this time? This I think is a challenge for everybody. Um, chatting with students yesterday, it's definitely on people's minds. Like I have these things I want to get done, but I can't focus on them. Do you feel yeah. like you're struggling with that? Yes, it is really hard right now. Um, I completed the first draft of my next book right before everything happened. And now, and I just got my notes back, my revision notes back from my editor. And I'm trying to like re, cause like I said, it's gonna be a much bigger revision than my last book in terms of like changing plot and stuff, major things. So I'm trying to like re-outline the book and I'm, yes, I'm finding it very hard to concentrate. And I have deadlines too, I'm sure. And so do your students, you know, it's like you have these things that you know you need to get done, but everything feels so surreal right now, I think is the thing. And there's such huge things going on in the world that like concentrating on these like tiny things feels strange. Um, but when I do concentrate, I will say, when I set like small goals, like I found it in terms of like my day job work because it's like kind of like uh, a lot of little details and like exercise or something. I feel so much better when I'm thinking about like for this half hour, I'm going to do this. And then like my brain can sort of handle that. I don't know, but it is strange because then you like come out of that and you're like, oh, we're still here. <laughs> world's still very strange um so yeah I I have found that for sure um you've touched on talking about trauma and like it is a strange time since the book the lucky ones is all about kids dealing with trauma do you feel like teenage readers might be able to learn how to deal with trauma when they read the book I hope so I mean really like you know it deals a lot with things that I've experienced in my life. I've never gone through a school shooting, but like the trauma and the PTSD and the mental health aspects are things that like I have experienced firsthand. And so I really do hope that like, that like through reading that the book, it can provide like kind of a cathartic experience to people. Um, I've heard from readers that like people find it very sad, but also get this, like, a lot of people seem to find it very hopeful toward the end um, and see that, like, things that we might need right now, like reaching out to family and friends and not isolating ourselves in terms of, like, connections um, is so vital and, like, can really, like, May in the book is so isolated at the beginning and she pushes everyone away. And then she slowly, like, opens herself up to people and starts healing through those connections. And I really feel like, you know, that's something that is so important for people to remember, that, like, through connections we can heal. I think, um, I think I've dropped the ball a little bit and not explaining the book a little bit more in depth. May's brother died in the shooting and then Zach's mother is the attorney or the lawyer defending the shooter 
So you have this tension. What was it like to write something like that tense? How did you craft that? Well, I really, I really, so basically I tried to write the two characters sort of like as opposites. May is very angry. She is dealing with serious trauma. She was the, she lost her twin brother and was in the room where the shooting happened. She's the sole survivor and she doesn't know why. She has this question of why was I the person who got through this? And so she has survivor's guilt, PTSD. She's dealing with a lot. And the way that she's dealing with it is lashing out. Um, which I thought was an important thing to show in a book because a lot of times you see, especially women in books dealing with mental health is like folding in on themselves um, and not being angry. And like, it's okay to be angry sometimes. And I think that that it's important for teenagers, especially girls to see that, you know, that like, it's okay if you are angry sometimes and like maybe don't use that anger in detrimental ways like May sometimes does, but if you feel that it's you don't have to be ashamed i think is what i was trying to show and zach is much softer he's dealing with his you know losing all his friends because his mother took this case and his little sister being isolated as well from her friends um and has started having to take care of his little sister because his parents are absent um and he's dealing with it by he's a little sad he's he feels like bummed and he's much less, he's not really angry. I would say he's more just, he's kind of like, this sucks. Um, so, you know, it was interesting to create the tension between somebody who's so angry and somebody who's a lot softer and balance them off each other. I think that it helped the book to not just put you in May's head because I think that could be overwhelming. Um, and to have a little bit Zach's softer parts balance that out um and creating the tension between the two characters because zach is somebody who wants so badly to like be accepted and to help people and so he meets may and bounces off of her so many times but he keeps going back because he truly has this like good heart and he wants he wants to help maybe out of a silly like a slight he's he's a sweetheart I feel like I keep talking. So Phoebe, if you have a question, you're more than welcome to ask it because I keep talking too much. But um, and if you have questions, you can also add them to the chat, too. Okay. Um, So are there any real life people that inspired you to write the characters, May and wait, what was the other guy's name? Zach. (laughs) Zach, sorry. Yeah. What was the research process between, wait, yeah. So I researched a lot. Um, It was really hard, um, as you might imagine. I read a lot about um, many different school shootings, Columbine, um, a lot. And I actually was revising the book when Parkland happened and those so I was like going through the process of deepening a lot of the characters and um a lot of those kids actually the Parkland kids really because they were so vocal and really their personalities were so big in the media really helped me kind of um refine May and Zach's characters because 
I could see these kids in real time going through this trauma that I was writing about. And it it made it so much more important. Not that it wasn't before, because it was, but it, it was before I got an agent or anything, I was just revising on my own. And it really like, in my head, I was like, this, I need to make this book properly, like do these kids justice. So I would say like inspiration wise, there was a lot of research and like May and Zach were there before that happened. But like the, the Parkland thing really, um, really shifted the focus of the book in terms of like me wanting to, me wanting to like really show that trauma on the page in a way that like I felt would help people that people like the Parkland kids, if that makes sense. Like I, it helped me um, see real life examples in real time, which was, you know, it was so sad. Yeah, I understand. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I think um, with research and like revision, like especially since this book's topic is so heavy, were there any points where like we often think like when we're writing something and then such an endeavor, like it can be tough, but with this topic in particular, were there any times when you just, you thought you were going to give up just because it was too much? No, not give up, but it was certainly, there were certainly times when I had to take a step back. Um, you know, especially there's a scene in the book, which I won't say because it's like a big spoiler, but like there's a scene where one this character is on the page and writing that character was like the work, you know what probably what I'm talking about. It was like the okay. hardest thing I've ever written. And I had to rewrite that scene like over and over and research things I really, really did not want to research. But I... Um, so I would say that was that was the closest I came to being like, I just can't do this. At one point, my agent was like, do you really need to like put him on the page so much? And I was like, I, I don't know. And then I started watching these videos that were just like so overwhelming. And I was like, maybe I don't. But then I managed to just like put myself into that space for a little bit. And then I did it. But there were certainly times when it was, it felt like a lot, yeah. <laughs> as you might imagine. I mean, writing about this subject is, was not easy. I think reading about this subject can be tough, so I can't imagine yeah. writing about it. So thank you for writing the book, um, sure. because I feel like I learned a lot from it. Um, with like with the book coming out recently and it's been compared to other books like 13 reasons why and all the bright mm-hmm. do you feel like because 13 reasons why got received a little bit of backlash when the tv show came out mm-hmm. yes are you are you afraid of backlash or how would you react to backlash have you gotten backlash already i have not um luckily which is I, good. <laughs> yeah so i think okay so the comps for my book I don't I know why they did them because like those are the biggest books about mental health that like people know across Mm -hmm. the board 
all the right places. Um, I loved that book, but in retrospect, I'm not sure if it handled mental health as like responsibly as I personally would have. Um, it did put that like romance at the center so much. Um, that said, I, I love the book. It was, you know, heart wrenching. 13 Reasons Why is an interesting one because I think that the book itself, when it came out, didn't have a ton of backlash that I know of, mm -hmm. uh, except for Jay Asher himself, who is, has some issues. Um, but the show, the way that they produced that show, I mean, I remember watching it and being like, this is not okay for, like, I am having trouble watching this. And like my my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law like didn't, they saw it was like marketed to teens and their 14 year old daughter watched it and they were like, this is not okay. Um, so I think that the graphicness of the show was the issue. Mm -hmm. And so I have had like a couple meetings with like producers and stuff in terms of like TV and film, but the, the biggest thing I, wanted and still want and would always want for my book is that the shooting itself is off the page. Mm -hmm. And I don't want there to be any part of my book that glorified the event that like even made, like made it salacious at all. Um, mm -hmm. So that was like a huge thing for me. And I hope that people see that in my book. And that's the reason I haven't and I hope don't have backlash. Um, because like I said, you know, I think that 13 reasons why has an issue because it has like, especially in the TV show, it has this girl who is not alive anymore, um, as a character. And that gives you like this false sense of her being alive still. Um, so there's a lot of like strangeness to the production of that show. I think that created the backlash, in including the graphicness of that one scene, which was so unacceptable in my opinion mm -hmm. yeah i think um i really enjoyed the fact that your book kept that traumatic event out of it and it's dealing with characters especially teenagers dealing with trauma in the moment which i think is so important because sometimes teens and even adults we deal with trauma but we don't know how to exactly process through it and it was mm -hmm. so interesting to see kids on the page do that because you don't usually see that like sometimes you do in YA um do you feel like YA is an important genre to read to kind of get exposure to realistic issues like that I do I mean I think especially in the last like 10 years you know a lot of books coming out in YA deal with really gritty issues um and I think that a, most of the time they're handled responsibly. I mean, clearly there are some books out there that probably are not for every reader. Um, and it's good to like know that in advance. Uh, but I do think that like through books, I know I did when I was younger, like a lot of books helped me sort of like process things going on in my life. and. Um, seeing these characters like move through their trauma helps you think like you know helps you sort of grasp onto the notion of like I can do that too maybe in a little bit deeper way than like film or television can thanks 
Phoebe, did you want to ask another question? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, what were some of the books that inspired you to write this? To write The Lucky Ones? Let's yes. see. I, I mean, so many books across, I mean, from, from throughout my whole life. I would say, like, things that inspired me to be a writer are, like, The Westing Game by Ellen Rankins, which is one of my very favorite books ever. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's an older book, but it's fantastic. Um, and then more recently, YA books, like, I'm a, I got very heavily into, like, looking at YA and reading it as somebody who was like interested in writing it about, I guess like six, seven, eight years ago. And there are books like um, Robin Rose, A A List of Cages, which is done in dual POV. And it's about, uh, deals with like foster kids and foster families. And it's a beautifully written book that deals with trauma in a really responsible way, in my opinion. Um, You know, and then also books like All the Bright Places. that book was very moving to read and I think Jennifer Nevin does a good job with the characters especially like she she has these characters that are very alive on the page um what else I mean John Green was one of the first ones I ever read he's from Indianapolis he is yeah yeah Yeah. that's very cool (laughs) um and um I'm trying to think like there are so many different YA books that sort of kind of inspired me oh uh Girl in Pieces by Kathleen Glasgow um which is a beautiful book and Kathleen's actually like a good friend now which is so weird when you become an author and you're like oh these people whose books I love now I am like a peer with Courtney Summers if you've never read her books Sadie um is her newest one so good the audiobook is so good oh my gosh isn't it so good it's done so well it was by far my favorite audiobook i've heard in years (laughs) but yeah i love all of her writing she's fantastic have you gotten to meet any authors that you were just like fangirled over um so in real life i've i met Karen McManus, who's super cool. Um, and, you know, I read read One of Us is Lying, like, before I got signed. And we have the same editor, actually. So we, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, like, got to know her via Twitter a little bit. And then we were at an event in Texas a couple months ago. So that one was cool. Um, Rory Powers, who wrote Wilder Girls, which is a fantastic book if you haven't read it. Um, she's really cool. Julie Buxbaum um, lives in LA and I've met her and I used to read her women's fiction like 10 years ago and then have read her YA since. So yeah, it's, there, it's sometimes you're just like, and Kathleen, I've met in person, she's amazing. And you, people are just like so nice and, but it's funny in your brain to be like, wow, you know, I never imagined that I could be like 10 years ago when I was reading your books. Right. <laughs> It's very cool. It's so cool. And it's like you try not to fangirl when you meet them. Exactly. Like, be cool. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. When I was in Texas at the event with, with Karen McManus, 
I was eating at um, the restaurant and John Green walked in and like sat at a table and I like texted my friend who's an author and I was like, John Green just walked in. <laughs> and he's like, go say hi. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to say hi. <laughs> that would be so awkward. So, yeah. But hey, you were at the same restaurant as John Green. So I was. there you go. <laughs> Um, so I have been asking a lot of questions, so we're going to kind of open it up to anybody and everybody. Um, in the chat, we have a question. Um, allowing the shooter to live was such a big part of the book. How did you decide to have that character live? Was it focused around giving May the answer she needed about why she lived, or was there something else behind that? a great question I've actually only been asked that one other time um and it's true usually the shooters do not live um and it was actually doing research was hard uh in terms of like finding examples where the shooters lived um and like I said Parkland was a big one because that's one of the ones that is most obvious in terms of that happening um so in terms of the plot of the book Yes, I think that in large part it was sort of to allow me to get this answer. It it would have been a very different story, and I'm trying to think whether I think it would have been darker. I'm not sure, but like to have her not be able to get any answers would have been challenging for her as a character. I think, even though the way that she does get answers is also very challenging. Um, it, it allowed her to have this like feeling, feeling of being haunted throughout the book. Um, so it was, it was in part a plot device, but I also thought it was interesting. And so that was what I was talking about before in terms of like the hardest scene of the book is when May meets the shooter. and. That was also an interesting thing for me to have to write as a writer, because it was, I rewrote that scene, geez, like 15 times probably, um, by from scratch over and over because I couldn't get him right. I didn't want to, I didn't want to put my brain in that place. Mm -hmm. and, and when I finally did, it was really, really hard. Um, and I think that like having him on the page, but also not really being a huge part of the story in other ways was allowed the plot, I don't, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say, like it allowed the plot to focus on the aftermath and have me feel haunted without having him be like a ghost who's there at everywhere that she's she is. She knows where he is, she knows he's behind bars. And so while she is haunted, she is safe if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So otherwise it would be like, he could, I feel like his presence would be a much, have to be a much bigger part of the book in a strange way. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, when somebody is, somebody dies, it's almost like they're still with you mm -hmm. in, in some ways. Um, if anybody has questions, you're more than welcome to, you can either put them in the chat or you can be wild and unmute yourself and ask the question because I've been talking a lot. And so I'm sorry that you've had to listen to my voice the whole time. So, but yeah, so feel free to ask your questions. 
Hi, I'll ask the question. I'm um, an English teacher, Paige Wyatt, Southport High School. Um, I just want to ask, why are you drawn to write YA specifically? Because um, I think that we need lots of different kinds of stories and different kinds of voices in that genre, and I love that you picked it, but I always wonder like, what draws authors to choose that specific genre to write. So, yeah, that's a great question. I feel like for me, so I actually, my first book, the first book I ever wrote, which is somewhere on a computer, was women's fiction. And I didn't start writing YA until the second book. Um, And it was when I was going through a hard time in my life. And I sort of remembered what it felt like when I was a teenager. And I thought to myself, you know, part of the reason I want to write is to speak to people about things that I've gone through and like mental health is a big thing in terms of like what I write about always. And I was like, if I was a teenager, because I feel like one right now in this moment, um, what would I want to hear? And I went home, I was on a walk and I went home and I started writing the first chapter of like, what was my second book that never had anything happen with it, which is fine. It was very autobiographical. And, um, and so I think that that's what it was, was that remembering how important those years were to me and how hard they were and wanting to like give voice to both like myself as a teenager and also speak to people who might be going through really hard stuff, um, right now because I certainly know when I was a teenager having the like YA that is accessible to teenagers now would have been amazing like when I was a young adult or when I was in high school it was like you know there were there were some there was like Judy Bloom but a lot of it was like Sweet Valley High which was lovely and so fun to read but also not exactly deep meaningful (laughs) books you know um, so that was the biggest thing I wanted, I wanted to like write something that I felt like could help potentially help somebody going through a hard time and like teenagers more than adults, I think need that in books, especially. Thank you. That's a good answer. Thanks. There's a question in the chat. Any good audiobook recommendations? This is from one of my students, Shelby. Um, she just finished one and is always looking for more, and she already listened to Sadie, which Sadie was uh, a great audiobook. So good. So good. Um, let me think. What have I listened to? I listened to Maureen Johnson's second um, in the Truly Devious series on audiobook, which is a great one. Um, not as, like, beautifully produced as Sadie because like audiobooks are not usually that amazing in terms of like the cast and everything but it was really good um Phil Stamper who just had a book his debut come out in February uh The Gravity of Us that audiobook is wonderful he does have like a big cast in it which is really cool um I'm trying to think of what other ones I've listened to recently there I just, I, I don't know how this audiobook is, but I just read A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which is really fantastic. 
um, the book is I hadn't been able to get into a book recently because like you said, you know, it's like really hard to mm-hmm. concentrate on stuff, but oh, is it good? That's awesome. Um, I was wondering who read it. I was like, somebody in this group has read it. I don't know. Yeah, it's so <laughs> I read it in two days, which is rare for me these days. And I couldn't put it down. I was like, it's so well plotted. The voice of the main character is so good. And there's like parts where you're laughing, even though it's a darker, you know, it's a thriller. So it's a really good book. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that the audiobook is also good. <laughs> I had a, a student email me a question. Um, so your bio says that you're a music supervisor. What exactly is that? <laughs> that is a good question. I didn't know what it was until like <laughs> I was in my late twenties. Um, a music supervisor is essentially uh, the person who does creative and sometimes clearance and licensing on any song you hear um, in a TV production or commercial or uh, film where that um, is not composed. So it's like called source music. So any popular music that you hear, um, what would make up like the, the song soundtrack of a film rather than the score soundtrack is usually helped by a music supervisor. Um, we help pick the songs, um, pitch like songs for particular scenes. Um, and then also on for my job, some music supervisors don't handle clearance, but I do in terms of finding, uh, researching all the writers for that song, because most songs have more than one writer and making sure that you reach out to those writers and set the terms in terms of like, uh, in terms of the length of use. So like sometimes you can use it forever. Sometimes you can use it for a year and then the fee. So, cause you have to pay for the use of their music. Oh, you can't just like steal it and use it for free. Well, some people try, but (laughs) (laughs) it's usually frowned upon. Um, yeah. So it's, it's like a fun job, I think, because it has the creative of pitching songs, but it also has, the more businessy side of it in terms of like negotiating for fees and figuring out how many writers there are on songs and making sure all the different pieces are cleared for use. So everything is sort of legal for the project. See, I I didn't even know the full details of a music supervisor. So yeah, (laughs) a lot of people think it's just making a playlist, which is it is in part, but it is not the whole job for sure. Did you uh, make a playlist while you were writing the lucky ones? I did. I did. Um, The get underline, which is the random house sort of like. I don't even know what you would call it, like the promotional site that Mm -hmm. that does like blog posts and stuff. They have it up there. Um, I can send it to you. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it helped me get into the mood of the characters, especially when I was revising. I listened to the same like 15 songs over and over again. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ravenous Readers made by the Sopo Reads Book Club. Until next time, happy reading.